My name is Jeff Barrows. Um, quickly, my background, I'm an OBGYN. Uh, the Lord called me into the issue of human trafficking in 2005, and I've been working in, in that area for the past uh, seven years now, I guess, in various capacities. So I've got a lot to talk about today. I'm going to be moving quickly. Uh, this is the title that the planning committee gave me, so I'm going to give an overview of both international and domestic trafficking within the United States, and then I'm going to be giving an update on what the current status is on, uh, on data, uh, the best of our ability. That's one weakness that we have in this whole area is looking at data. So that's my goals. Here are the educational objectives that I have for you all. <coughs> Excuse me. That after this, uh, this session, you should be able to realize the extent of the phenomenon of human trafficking in the United States. That you should be able to identify signs that a patient you are seeing may be a potential victim of human trafficking. And then thirdly, to be able to take concrete steps for that patient in order to free them from their trafficking scenario. So that's my goal and we'll get started. I'm going to start out basic, uh, and for those of you who are maybe just learning about the issue of human trafficking, and I'm going to give you a very basic definition of what human trafficking is. It is a form of extreme exploitation of one human being for another for personal or financial gain. Okay? It's one person, one human being, exploiting another for their own gain. Now, that can work its way out in a lot of different ways, but in the United States, it's usually in the form of either commercial sexual exploitation or the form of labor trafficking. Okay? It also does involve two criteria, not just ex exploitation, but generally there's loss of freedom in the exploitation scenario. So, what can we find? We can find commercial sex, and I'll talk a lot more about that in a minute. But it can also be in labor, and in labor trafficking, you can have people who are forced to serve as domestic servants. They can be working as well in, uh, uh, in hotels, as restaurant workers, and farm workers. In fact, I'll tell you a quick story. The first human trafficking conference that we had in Columbus, Ohio, in 2008, uh, we had in a hotel, and it was... Uh, uh, the first time any kind of trafficking uh, seminar had been put on in central Ohio. And we talked about the fact that trafficking can be going on all around you. Two years later, law enforcement made an arrest of labor trafficking occurring in that very hotel where we were speaking. So while we were giving the conference, women were being trafficked right above us in the floors. So it literally can be all around you without knowing it. Now, when we get to the legal aspects of trafficking... It all comes out of a federal law which was passed in the year 2000 called the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, the TVPA. And here are the basic essential elements that are found in that, that uh, legislation. In order for someone to be convicted of human trafficking, they have to use either one of three, force, fraud, or coercion, in the act of exploiting, Recruiting, harboring, transporting, or obtaining a victim of human trafficking. Okay? Does not require all three force, fraud, or coercion, just one of the three. Force, fraud, or coercion in any of those acts. So exploiting itself, but if someone is recruiting and then turns that girl or, or a young man over to someone else, 
they're still guilty of trafficking. If they drive them in a car to a, a, a trafficker, they're guilty of trafficking. So it's, it's very broad and trying to get people who are involved in all aspects of the issue of human trafficking. And as I said, the most common forms of trafficking in the United States are either in commercial sex or some form of labor. There are other forms around the world, but I'm focusing right now on the U.S. Now, there is one major exception that I want to draw your attention to, to that TVPA and the requirement for force, fraud, and coercion. And that is... Whenever a victim under the age of 18, a minor, is involved in commercial sex. And Congress had to wrestle through the issue. Should they require force, fraud, or coercion to be proved in the case of a minor? And they said, well, wait a minute. If we say that, that implies that we believe that a minor can give consent to commercial sex. So Congress asked itself the question back in, and actually it was in 99, do we believe that a minor can give consent to commercial sex? If the answer is yes, then we need to, to add force, fraud, and coercion. But if the answer is no, there should be no requirement for force, fraud, or coercion. And fortunately, Congress came up with the decision that no, they do not believe a minor can give consent to commercial sex. Therefore, any time a minor under the age of 18 is found in commercial sex, they are automatically, by federal statute, a victim of severe sex trafficking. Other than that, you have to prove force, fraud, or coercion in order to prosecute someone for trafficking. Okay? Now, that means that in the United States, there are basically two types of trafficking victims. Okay? There is... Sex trafficking or labor trafficking. And sex trafficking is anytime a woman or a girl, let's say a woman, an adult, is found in commercial sex and is proven that she is in commercial sex because of force, fraud, or coercion, or a minor is found in commercial sex at any time, they are automatically a victim of sex trafficking. That's federal statute. That's not state statute. That's federal statute. Now, Congress said, well, how are we going to define commercial sex? Well, obviously, commercial sex is prostitution, but it's not limited to prostitution. It also includes stripping and the production of pornography. And actually, most of the cases of especially domestic minor sex trafficking that we see in the United States, all three are found together. Typically, a girl is, is used in prostitution, stripping, and in the production of pornography, typically against her will. Labor trafficking, the other common form of trafficking in the United States, is when someone is using force, fraud, or coercion to cause someone else to work in labor for their financial gain. So you're going to see these victims as nannies, maids, and domestic servitude, Sweatshop factories, janitorial jobs, construction sites, farm work, restaurants, and hotels like the example that I gave. If they're paid a very low amount, and some of these victims are actually held in what's called uh, debt bondage, 
they are brought in from another country and they are given a debt of, say, $30,000. And they say, you have to work off that debt. And they can be paid very minimal amount of money, $5, $10 for a week of work. Because it's so low and they're held in bondage, it still qualifies as trafficking. The amount of pay needs to be somewhat near what is normal, at least to the minimum wage. So, there are two types of, tra- of uh, trafficking, but there also are two types of victims in the United States. And that is international victims and domestic victims. And every country has both international victims and domestic victims. By international victims, I mean someone who is brought into that country from another country. They've crossed an international border. So, obviously, here in the United States, we can have men, women, and children brought in from various parts of the world. But also, Western Europe can have people brought in from Eastern Europe. In fact, most countries across the world deals with some degree of both international trafficking and then domestic trafficking is the trafficking of people in their their own country. So U.S. citizens here in the United States. So every country has both international victims, victims brought in from another country, and domestic victims. So then it's going to get a little bit more complicated because, all right, we've got two basic types of victims, but then you can have international sex trafficking victims, you can have international labor trafficking, you can have domestic sex trafficking, you can have domestic labor trafficking. And of the four types, the most common in the United States is domestic sex trafficking. And I'll show you some data in a little bit. By far, the data that we're looking at is by far the most common victim here in the U.S. is domestic minor sex trafficking victims. Let's talk a little bit about international. As I've mentioned, in order to be an international trafficking victim, you have to be transferred across some international boundary. And you may be here in the United States as a result of labor trafficking or sex trafficking, typically held captive as a slave or held in bondage because of the debt to get you here. And they're frequently controlled through threats of violence, not only to the victim themselves, but international traffickers love to use threats of violence against the family back home. Because typically that trafficker is a very uh, extensive, has a very extensive criminal network and they know people back in the country of origin that can track down their family and threaten the family of the victim. So what are the numbers? When we look simply at the number of international victims brought into the United States, again, let me emphasize that we don't have a lot of real good hard data on this. But this is the probably the best estimate that I see talked about, and this was released by the State Department's Trafficking in Persons Office in their 2004 report. And it's between 14,500 and 17,500 individuals are brought into the United States every single year. Okay? Most of them, 80% are female, and 50% are minors under the age of 18. So what are they being brought in for? Probably not labor trafficking. Probably commercial sex. When you look across the world and you ask the question, how many people are trafficked across international borders all across the world, that number is between six and 800,000. 
And then when you ask the question, what is the total number of trafficked individuals in the entire world, that number is 21 million. And that comes out of a recent report uh, released earlier this year by the International Labor Organization, which is part of the UN. Yes? Is that labor and sex or sex? That's all trafficking victims. And I will say that the majority of that 21 million is actually labor trafficking. Because when you look at the picture worldwide, the majority of trafficking is labor across the world. Here in the United States, it's sex trafficking. But across the world, the big picture, it's labor trafficking. So 21 million people are enslaved right now. Now, this is out of that same report, and it kind of gives their estimates in terms of numbers. You can see, and maybe it's a little hard, but in terms of Western, uh, the Western Hemisphere, and that's in the United States, Canada, Western Europe, and also includes Australia and New Zealand, the estimate is 1.5 million trafficking victims. Okay? Then you can see Asia, 11.7 million. Africa, 3.7 million. Uh, Soviet Union, or the old Soviet Union, 1.6 million. So that's, that's the estimate out of the International Labor Organization earlier this year. So when we look at the United States, where do they come from? Well, they come from three major areas. And this is a map that was generated by the Department of Justice in 2002. Every arrow represents a single case of trafficking. And most of the arrows arise either out of Central, South America, Asia, or Eastern Europe. Those are the three major areas where people are brought into the United States for trafficking. Now, when you look at the profile of the trafficker, and there's a big difference between international trafficking and domestic trafficking between the traffickers. When you look at the profile, international trafficking uh, crime syndicates are actually very well organized. Many of you may have seen the movie Taken, where it's about an Albanian trafficking gang. Well, this is a real Albanian trafficker. And what's interesting to me is these are Interpol agents in the masks. They've got bulletproof vests on. They're in the masks. They're transferring this trafficker from one jail to another. And they are afraid to be seen and identified for fear of their families. So they are wearing masks, and they've got him super guarded. So that's an example of a very sophisticated crime syndicate in terms of international trafficking. There are some that are smaller and not as well organized. And yes, there are some amateurs that are, are bringing people, especially from Central America, and they kind of hear somebody doing that. But typically, when you're dealing with Asia and Eastern Europe, you're dealing with very sophisticated criminals. And I do want to point out that there is a trend across the world and across Eastern Europe of an increasing number of women who are acting as traffickers. Don't get caught into the thinking that it's only men that are trafficking women. Actually, now in Eastern Europe, there are more female traffickers than male traffickers. This is a trafficker that's in jail in Zambia. Now, I briefly want to touch on the issue of illegal smuggling versus trafficking, because sometimes people get confused between the two. Obviously, with the illegal smuggling, there is movement required, and you have to cross a border. 
But with trafficking, movement is not required. I have talked to women who have been trafficked in their own home by their parents in their own city, in their own state. So you don't have to move anybody to traffic them. Okay? And the final difference is that once the person is in the country with illegal smuggling, they're free to go as they want to go. They take off, they do what they're going to do, they get a job or whatever. With trafficking, no, they don't have the freedom. So what makes it a little confusing is that there are scenarios that can start out as illegal smuggling, Somebody from Mexico wants to get into the United States and they'll hook up with a coyote and pay them a certain amount of money to get into the United States. But guess what? That coyote is going to make a little bit more money because they're going to sell that person to a trafficker in Texas or Florida. And that person has gone from having started out in illegal smuggling to being a trafficking victim. That happens, especially from Central America, a lot. All right, let's then move from international trafficking to domestic trafficking. And again, that is trafficking of citizens in their own country. And I'm going to focus on here in the United States. And here, the most common form is what we call domestic minor sex trafficking. That's trafficking of citizens under the age of 18 for sex. It is the number one form of trafficking in the U.S. And let me just as a reminder, again, this is the TVPA so that I don't confuse you, domestic minor sex trafficking is defined as any U.S. citizen or per permanent resident who has not reached the age of 18 and is engaged in a commercial sex act. Notice, no requirement for force, fraud, or coercion. Okay? And how does the TVPA define a commercial sex act? Well, the commercial part is anything of value. It doesn't need to be just money. So if there's a girl who's living out on the street and she approaches a guy and says, can I sleep in your apartment? And he says, yeah, you can sleep in my apartment, but you have to have sex with me first. He's actually exchanged something of value, a place to stay for the night, for a sex act with a minor, and he's guilty of participating in sex trafficking. Or drugs, or food. And there are a lot of American teenagers that are engaging in this, and they call it survival sex. That's how they survive out on the street. We've already talked about the fact that Commercial Sex Act includes prostitution, stripping, and pornography. All right, this is uh, <clears throat> the most recent data that we have out of the Department of Justice. Um, and it's, it's the, what they call human trafficking incidents. In other words, the arrests. They haven't been prosecuted yet. But this is 2008 to 2010. And um, basically... Um, the bottom is suspected labor trafficking. This all, this in-between is suspected sex trafficking. And the top is unknown. So you can see that in every year, sex trafficking is the most common type of trafficking found. And this is in the United States. Okay? And while the numbers are increasing... The number of incidents in 2000, the second quarter of 2010 was only 2,500. And we've got 17,000 coming in every year. So you know that we're just really getting the tip of the iceberg. When you break these down a little bit in terms of adults versus minors, then you see that um, here's exploitation of a child, 40%. 
and then this is adults. So they're they're getting a little bit uh, caught between both similar between adult and minors in that particular number. Um, but again, 82% are sex trafficking. But this one is uh, shows that when you break down 17 or younger, 257, which is the biggest group. Okay? So, we're making progress. But when we ask the question, how many young people do we feel are actually being trafficked at any one time? And I'm often asked that. This is the most common number I use, 100,000. Ernie Allen, who is the president for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, was giving testimony before a congressional caucus in 2010. And they asked him that question. Give us your best estimate of the number of American kids being trafficked at any one time. And he said, our best estimate is 100,000. So where do they come from? Well, most of the girls are coming out of homes where they're being physically or sexually abused or neglected. And they're running away from that neglect and abuse thinking that they can find a better place on the street or with someone else only to be picked up by traffickers. There are occasional episodes of teenagers who are kidnapped, but smart traffickers don't mess with kidnapping because they know that gets law enforcement involved right away. Whereas nobody is really looking out for these kids that are on the street and running out of neglected homes. So you might ask the question, why is this such a huge problem? And the answer is money. It's all driven, and we in the, in the anti-trafficking movement call this the demand side of trafficking. In fact, on average, a trafficker can make between $500 and $1,000 per night per girl, every day of the year. 300,000 dollars. And of course, he or she is not going to be paying taxes on that. So that's demand. Um, it also deals with the number of buyers of sex. Typically, Depending on the city, the average sex act will cost between $50 and $75. So a girl typically will have a quota that she has to meet before she can go back to that trafficker. If she doesn't meet that quota, she gets beaten. So that means she's having sex with between 10 and 15 different men every single night to make her quota. So how are they recruited? Typically, as I said, they come out of abusive homes. Because they're coming out of an abusive home, they suffer from low self-esteem. That's key. They've never had anybody tell them that they're worth anything, that they're loved, that they're beautiful, until they get out on the street and these traffickers know how to do that. And there basically are two types of traffickers. They're what we call a guerrilla trafficker who uses brute force. And then there is the more common type, which is the finesse trafficker. And this is a young guy who will trap a girl into a romantic relationship. He will use various ways to, to uh, encounter her 
at, at, at malls. We know of, of traffickers in Columbus that will go to the mall and simply look for the girls that are walking around alone by themselves. And, and they have simple little tests. And they may even have a shopping bag and they'll say, you look beautiful. And if the girl looks at him and says, well, thank you, then the trafficker knows that's not a girl they can control. She's got adequate self-esteem. But if they say to the girl, you look beautiful, and then they stop and they look down at their feet and they say, do you really think so? Then the trafficker knows there's a girl that he can control. So they form the relationship, then increasing, uh, increasing control over the girl, and then if she has any kind of support system like foster care, uh, eventually they'll separate the girl from that support system so that they're forced to rely solely on the trafficker. Now, where are they sold? Backpage.com. Very similar to Craigslist, except a lot more seedy. This is a picture of Backpage here in Louisville. And uh, the way Backpage works is starting at midnight, a new date, people can start putting on these ads. And uh, typically by noon, you have 50 to 60 ads. I did this uh, on a Monday night, and there were 57 listings here in Louisville already by that night. Now, if a, if a trafficker is trying to sell a young girl, he'll use code words. And it might be uh, something like uh, fresh, Barbie, petite, sweet, new in town. Words that might tell someone looking to buy a young girl that that girl may be, in fact, uh, what they're looking for. And, in fact, here's, here's a listing here in Louisville just a couple days ago. New girl in town. Come play. 21. There's a picture. There's part of the picture. Now, I look at that girl, and I'll tell you, I don't think she's 21. I don't think she's 18. I think she's 15 to 16 years old. This girl was being sold two days ago here in Louisville. Now, if you want to learn how to be a trafficker, you can buy this book on Amazon. It's called Pimpin, uh, Pimpology, The 48 Laws of the Game by Pimpin' Ken. And believe it or not, it's got rated four stars. Here's a quote from another book you can get on the Internet called The Pimp Game. You'll start to dress her, think for her, own her. If you and your victim are sexually active, slow it down. After sex, take her shopping for one item. Hair and or nails is fine. She'll develop a feeling of accomplishment. After you have broken her spirit, she has no sense of self-value. Now, pimp, put a price tag on the item you have manufactured. So what's the role of healthcare professionals? Where we are in the unique position where we can find and encounter these victims. This is a study done out of Eastern Europe where they uh, interviewed victims of trafficking after they were freed, and they asked them, how many of you encountered a healthcare professional? And 28% said, we did. But none of those were freed as a result of that encounter. This is another study, and I'm going to be moving a little faster because I'm running out of time. This is another study done in 2007 surveying emergency room personnel in, uh, in California on their knowledge of trafficking. And 76% knew what trafficking was which starts out pretty good. 29% thought it was a problem in their own emergency department. But then it gets interesting because less than one in four were confident in their ability to treat a trafficking victim. 
6% had knowingly treated a trafficking victim, but didn't know what to do with him and let him go out the ER. 13%, only 13% felt confident or very confident that they could identify a trafficking in persons victim in their emergency department. Less than 3% had ever had any training. Now, these same uh, researchers did another study just this year, and they, they, instead of going to California, they did a similar survey in four ERs, major ERs in northeastern United States. About the same number of, of uh, data in terms of the number of people that had, had not had any formal training, 98%, 74% knew what it was, uh, only 19% was confident in their ability to define it, and 6%, again, had knowingly treated a victim of trafficking. Almost exactly the same numbers five years later. Um, what they did in this study is to go on and give them a 20-minute training program, very similar to what I'm talking about today. And uh, after that training program, 90% were confident in their ability to define trafficking persons, 54% were confident in their ability to identify, 57% were confident to be able to treat a victim of trafficking. So that is the goal. So how do you identify and treat? I like this uh, mnemonic, H-E-A-R, here. The first thing you have to do is what I'm doing right now. You have to create a category for human trafficking in your mind. You won't be able to recognize it unless you understand that it exists. And a lot of times the way that healthcare professionals will, when they encounter this, is they'll just get to think to themselves, something strange is going on, but I don't know what it is. And the reason they don't know, because they don't have a category. Now you have a category. So consider human trafficking. That's the H. How do you consider it? What are some things? If you've got a patient, and this is international because the indicators are different, unfortunately, between international and domestic. If you've got a patient accompanied by someone else who's very controlling, do they seem to have control of the patient's travel documents? I always hated it as an OB when I would, would have the patient sitting in front of me on the table, and I'd ask her a question, and then the guy in the chair answers the, the question. And now, not, not that it's always going to be trafficking, but that should be a tip-off now. Anytime you've got the guy always insisting on answering the question, you should begin thinking, what's going on that she's not the one answering? Um, do they seem hesitant to talk? The normal patient isn't going to be fearful, in general, unless they're scared of doctors. Um, but are they, they just seem submissive or fearful, and do you just get an unusual feel for what's happening in there? And is there something strange about the history? Now, domestic, uh, this is a mnemonic put together by a researcher in Ohio, Rescue, R-E-S-C-U-E, Runaway, Education, they're dropping out of school, sexual, history of sexual assault, history of court appearances, using drug alcohol, and emotional abuse. That should tip you off. And then the second part of that is child. Child abuse, neglect, history, homelessness, influential others. Are there others that they're hanging out with that may be involved with commercial sex? L, loving someone much older. Again, in that trauma bond. And D, difficulty making friends. So that's all for domestic minors. Some others, you know, if you, and once you've got this category created in your mind and you understand trafficking, then all of these make sense. You've got somebody who's got a lot of hotel room keys or the, the cards. 
uh, numerous school absences. They're lying about their age. They're dating someone older. Large amounts of cash. I talk to teachers about kids who have started uh, coming to school before. They didn't have the money to buy the latest in the fashion trends, but all of a sudden they're showing up and they've got the latest clothing. Where did they get the money? It's very simple. They're selling themselves. Restricted communication. This is an important one here. Lack of knowledge about a community or location. The domestic girls are typically moved around from city to city to state to state. And after a while, they lose track where they're at. And so you get somebody in the ER or in a clinic setting, and they ask the question, by the way, what city am I in? That should be a huge red flag. Wait a minute, what's going on? Because these girls frequently don't care what state they're in. So, that's the H. E is examine. What are you looking for? Again, internationally, you're looking for unusual infections, late presentation of illness. You will never see appendicitis prior to rupture because the traffickers will not bring that person in for health care until the absolute last moment when they realize they have no choice. Evidence of trauma, and in the case of uh, women, multiple sexually transmitted infections. Domestic, you're going to see a lot of tattooing. Traffickers love to put their name on, on, a, on a trafficking victim. It's their way of branding them and as a piece of property. The guy in the phone call who was Matthew Tompkins, his street name was Knowledge, and he would have, his, have Knowledge tattooed across all its girls' upper back. And by the way, when they arrested him, he had $700,000 cash. He had homes in four different states, and he had eight luxury cars with a total worth of $2.5 million. So domestically, you look at substance abuse and use, extreme weight loss, frequent need for pregnancy tests, again, multiple STIs and unusual tattoos. So what should you do? First thing, you've got to ask the questions. Okay? That's the A. Ask the questions. What questions are you going to ask? Well, before you do that, you have to assign somebody in your office to take their time to develop a trusting relationship with that patient. That patient will not give you any information until she is absolutely certain of two things. Number one, that she can trust you implicitly. And number two, that you can protect her from that trafficker. And until she's absolutely convinced of those two things, she will not say a word about what's going on. Because if you're unsuccessful in getting her out of that trafficking scenario, she's going to suffer horribly when the trafficker finds out that, you, that, that she began to tell what was really going on. So she won't, won't begin to release any information. But if you get that trust formed with one of your staff, these are some of the questions for international. Can you leave your work or job situation if you want? When you're not working, can you come and go as you please? Have you been threatened with harm if you try and quit? Has anyone threatened your family? Again, going back to the international and the traffickers having a network back to their home country. What are your living or working conditions like? Where do you sleep and eat? Do you have to ask permission to eat or sleep and go to the bathroom? Is there a lock on your door or windows so you cannot get out? You notice that these questions get right to the main situation of their living conditions. You don't ask somebody, are you a victim of trafficking? They won't know what you're talking about. Okay? And unfortunately, they don't come with a big T on their forehead. 
But you ask these questions of an international victim, you'll be able to tell whether or not they truly are a victim of trafficking by the end. Now, domestic, those questions don't apply because most of the coercion and the bondage is psychological with these young American girls. They're what we call trauma bonded to the trafficker. Similar to a domestic abuse where a wife is trauma bonded to an abusive husband. They actually love their trafficker, even though he beats her and exploits her and sells her every single night. So what you have to ask is, is someone asking you to have sex with multiple men every night? Do you have to meet a quota of money before you can safely return home? Now, she can lie, obviously, but that those two questions get to the core of her situation. Well, what if you get a positive answer to those questions? What's your next step? That's respond and report. That's the R. So you've got human trafficking, consider, examine, ask the questions, and then finally respond and report. First thing you have to do, which if you haven't done it already, you should have actually in asking the questions, keep the patient separated from the trafficker. And then remember, not all local law enforcement is going to be trained on trafficking. Don't assume that whatever city you're in, that you can pick up the phone and call the police and tell them, I have a victim of trafficking in my waiting room or in my office. Don't assume that they know anything of what you're talking about. Most federal agents have been trained, and most state law enforcement agents have been trained. But the majority of local law enforcement has not been trained on trafficking. So, what do you do? You have to do your research in advance. You have to get prepared ahead of time. And this is the way you do that. This is the national hotline number run by the Polaris Project in Washington, D.C. They have a database of every single provider of uh, this working against human trafficking all across the U.S. So no matter what state or city you're in, if there's a trafficking provider near you, they can give you that information. So one, one in four of the phone calls they get is informational calls. So don't worry about calling the hotline number. Uh, they're used to getting people that call about information. So the first thing you want to do is find out who is working in my city to fight trafficking. And then, don't just stop there, connect with them. And ask them, what do you want me to do if I get a trafficking victim in my office? What law enforcement officer do you want me to call? What do you think is the best scenario for me to handle that trafficking victim? And they should be experts on it, and they should know the law enforcement officer you should call and be able to help you out. But in general, here are some things. First, when you're dealing with both an adult and a minor, you need to ask their permission to intervene. Why? As I said, if you're unsuccessful, they're going to suffer horribly. So you need to ask, can I help you get away from this person who is controlling you? If they say yes, keep them isolated, contact security, contact that local law enforcement official that you've already known about because you've done your homework in advance, and do what you can to protect the patient. What if they say no? Well, there's still some things you can do. The number one thing you don't want to do, you don't want to alarm the trafficker. You want to collect all the information you can, which you've hopefully got some of that information because of the intake process in your office. But get if you haven't, get their driver's license photocopied. Have someone go out and get the automobile license number. Get everything you can from them before they leave the office. You don't want to alarm the trafficker. 
then allow them to leave, and then contact law enforcement and let them follow up. And basically, the minor is about the same. It really is because even though we are mandated reporters as healthcare professionals, because the safety of that girl is at stake and really at significant risk, you don't intervene unless she gives you permission, and then you contact law, law enforcement as well as children's services because we're mandated reporters. Now, there's another way that all of us as healthcare professionals can help these victims. This is a study out of New York in terms of the needs. Once a victim is out of the trafficking scenario, they looked at what are their needs. Number one, obviously, is housing, 98%. But look at number two, 98%. 98% of victims coming out of trafficking need some form of health care. That's the good news. The bad news is they then asked how many of those that needed it got it. 1.8% in New York. The biggest issue is funding. It's not so much access to having health care professionals, but there's no money to pay for that care. So there's a huge service gap. So with that, I'm running out of time. I'm going to stop and try and answer any questions. So. Yes? I think there's risk. Uh, there's risk in the office setting, frankly, probably more with international than domestic. Uh, it's unlikely they don't like to create scenes, and especially in a hospital setting when you can get all a bunch of people involved. But I can't say that it's it's not out of the realm of possibility. Yes. I've actually had meetings with Health and Human Services. It's been a number of years ago, uh, um, about four years ago, trying to deal with that issue. And uh, at that time, the government, uh, the official I talked with at HHS said, yeah, we probably ought to address that. <laughs> and that's as far as it's gone. Uh, I, I don't, there is a website. You can, go, you can put in Google uh, Human Trafficking HHS. And they have a bunch of resources, but I don't believe there's anything that addresses the HIPAA issue. Yes? What are some of the best resources you found for training, like at schools, medical students, or health professionals, schools, and also at hospitals for training? Like what you just Probably the best resource is a series of educational modules that a group of us in CMDA have put on the, the CMDA website. Uh, it's not all completely online, but we are in the process of finishing uh, a series of 11 modules on the various aspects of human trafficking in the healthcare professional, both domestic, international, long-term health consequences, mental health. And I don't know of anything else like it out there. So it's, it's available. It's free on the CMDA website. It's also up for CME. If you want, you have to pay a little bit of money for that. Yes? Victim from the 
Well, fortunately in healthcare, we've got some great things that we can say to them. I say, well, our policy is nobody in the exam room. And I frequently get asked, what if the trafficker absolutely insists? To me, the more the, tra- the person is insisting on being in there, the more suspicious I'm getting. So I think you have to reach a point where you have to say, put your foot down and realize they may leave. But if you don't get them separated, you're not going to be able to do anything anyway. But we're fortunate that we just say, this is our policy. There's the waiting room. This is the way we do it with all our patients. You have to wait out there until we're done with the exam. If the trafficker refuses to do that, then, again, you just give whatever information you've got and you have suspicions and give that to law enforcement. Yes? Um, it, you showed us how you could find, like, how to purchase a girl in Louisville. If it's that easy, why don't the police do that and catch them all? <laughs> Excellent question. It's all about manpower and priorities. Every city uh, the size of Louisville has a vice department, but most cities, the vice department is focused on drug trafficking. Most policemen look at prostitution as a nuisance. They don't see it as trafficking. They don't see these girls as victims. They see them as delinquents or out there, there's criminals. And in Columbus, Ohio, we arrest a thousand prostitutes every year. Last year, we arrested 45 buyers of sex, Johns. It's priorities in the police department. How do you deal with that? City council. Yes. If the state has passed laws to that effect, uh, as you can imagine, uh, there's a lot of uh, infighting over all that money. And so, uh, but Ohio just recently passed a law where specifically if there's funds confiscated from a trafficker, that a certain percentage of those funds need to go to trafficking organizations. But that's a state-by-state basis, so it would require the state passing that law. Yes? Yes, uh, Melissa Farley is, uh, is a researcher out of uh, San Francisco. You can Google her. In fact, her website is prostitutionresearch.com. She's done a study internationally showing that about 89% of women in prostitution want out. Yes, sir. I think the church can get, I think it's a great question. I think the church can get involved uh, in a lot of different ways. Uh, immediately what comes to my mind is number one in terms of prevention. We need good foster parents. 
These kids, foster care, by the way, is broken. I mean, I, I lived in a world where I thought, oh, the foster care system is taking care of all these kids. It's not. 80% of people that are foster parents are doing it for the money. Wrong reason. So only 20% of foster parents are really well motivated out there. And the reason is we don't have enough people that are the empty nesters that are serving as foster parents. So that's, to me, the number one, and that's prevention. You get these girls into a good foster home, they're not going to be liable to be caught by these traffickers. Second, I think there's outreaches that can be done uh, in various ways to find what abuse is going on. And a lot of abuse, frankly, happens in the church. How many preachers are talking and pastors are talking about abuse in that church? Um, so it's another area of prevention. Advocacy for change of laws. Um, just getting people involved in training and educating the awareness. So there are a lot of different ways. I mean, I, I, can, I can go on. But I, I am out of time. I better quit. I'll be up here and for questions. But thank you very much for your time and attention.